All right, if you'll take out your Bibles or it's in your worship folder. Today, as we work, continue to work through some more of the Psalms, we come now to Psalm 20. Psalm 20. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God? Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us today and open our eyes. Open our eyes to what your word says, where it is the only way that we can really understand it, really apply it into our lives. There are things here that are hard, things that challenge us, Lord, but they, they work in our lives for our good and your glory. Open our eyes and our hearts to them, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is Psalm 20. It's written to the, by the, to the choir master. It's a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. In addition to this passage, I, I quote Second Chronicles 12, when the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. See, one of the most pervasive themes in the Bible is that the power of the leaders, especially the leaders of Israel, shaped the rest of the nation. I think it was... I, talk to the Sunday school class about this. I think it was Jefferson, and I'm going to paraphrase. The people get the leaders they deserve, okay? And here in Israel, if the hearts of the people were darkened and in sin, then they got leaders who led them even further into that. Now, sometimes the leaders pursued that on their own and led the rest of the nation into that. So as the king goes, so go the people. We see it over and over again in Judges, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. Think of individuals such as Deborah, Gideon. When they were good, the nation followed them, and sometimes they turned bad. We think of Eli, Samuel, David, Solomon, Ahab, Zedekiah. These are all people who at one time were either good or bad or were all bad, and they led the nation in the same direction. In Scripture, we read a typical statement like the one regarding Asa and the influence the king has. In 1 Kings 15, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of Jeroboam and his sin, which he caused Israel to commit. So here in these couple passages, we see that the king, by their character, by their personal practices, and by their sinfulness, can lead the entire nation in the same direction into the same sin. As the king goes, 
so go the people. And that's the theme that we're finding here in Psalm 20. So what I'm going to do first is summarize the context and, and um, the message of the psalm. And then we're going to look at the application of the psalm in our hearts and lives. So Psalm 20 is a psalm that is sung prior to battle. Okay, prior to battle. And Psalm 21 is the victory song that is sung after the battle. So we're more inclined to victory. So we have done a lot of, we, the great academic, we have done a lot of work on Psalm 21. It's been preached on a lot. But when you go and try to research Psalm 20, there's just not much on that. People aren't as excited about the prayer before. They're excited about the victory after. Okay, So the title to the choir master or the chief musician, it is a psalm of David. Yet this psalm is different because we see in the first five verses, it is the voice of the people. It is not an individual. It is not David saying these things. It is the voice of the people. May the Lord answer you in the day of the tr- in day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So it is the people who are praying on behalf of the king. The people who are praying on behalf of the king. And we see this in the New Testament, uh, specifically in Uh, in the writings of Paul, how we as individuals are supposed to pray for those in the civil leadership above us. Whether they be the magistrates, that would be the local leaders, whether they are the state leaders or the national leaders, we are to be in prayer for them, that they would seek after what is just and right, that their lives would seek after holiness and godliness. So we see here that the people are praying for David's victory in the first five verses and then in verse six we have the voice of David okay or or the priest I'm I'm gonna side with David here David now I know that the Lord saves his anointed he will protect him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand and then it goes back to the voice of the people say some trust in chariots some in horses we trust in the name of the Lord our God We trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's a blessing upon the king who leads the people, who goes out into battle to fight for his people. Now, the the ancient Jewish writings, uh, if you look at verse 6, say that this first half, and I'm going to side with them, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. It's not just David that is the anointed of the Lord. Who is the ultimate one? The anointed, the Messiah. So this was interpreted as, I know the Lord saves his anointed. In the times when the Messiah would face difficulty and trouble, we pray and know that the Lord will watch over the Messiah as well. So David is calling for the people to trust in God and not in him, like any good king, godly king would. Okay? king is just like just like the rest of us except their king here in the old testament we saw the one who came before david who was saul okay uh and 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 i asked we just i asked the sunday school class again and where was saul on the day that he was chosen king he was hiding in the baggage because he's afraid what kind of king do you want who's hiding 
Okay? You want a king who's out front and leading, and there was Saul who was hiding, but they wanted a king because the rest of the people had a king. All the pagan nations around them had a king, so they wanted one, and the Lord gave them the kind of king that they wanted, a frail human king. And then God chose the next one because David was a man after God's own heart. So we have to remember here, as we look at Psalm 20, that really... The, our salvation, the joy of our salvation, is not, does not rest in what we have done. It does not rest in our own efforts, in our own works, but in the fruit of what Christ has done for us. Our peace, our assurance, our right standing before God are all based upon what the Messiah has done, what the King of glory has done, and he has already won the victory. So here's the confidence that we have in what the Savior has done. As I said, everything changes. Here in verses 1 through 5, we got the people praying, hey, the enemy is coming. Lord, are you going to save us? You're going to send out the king? Protect us. Protect the king. Because as the king goes, so do the people. And then after that, there's this reminder. You know, some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord. Think of, uh, think of Gideon. Gideon started out with 33,000 soldiers. And, and he's like, yeah, now we're ready for battle. And the Lord says, uh, Gideon, you, you've got too many here. He says, what do you mean, Lord? We're going to face this big, big army. No, you've got too many. Uh, everybody who's afraid can go home. So a big portion go home because I'm afraid before battle. And then they march on and, and the Lord says, Gideon, I, I just think you've got too many people here again. Too many soldiers so everybody who drinks in this way, I want you to send home, and everybody who drinks in this way can stay. Now Gideon's down to 300. Okay, thousands have gone home because the Lord said you had too many. Now why in the world did he do that? It's because these were the only guys who could fight, the only really good guys you could trust? No, because the victory was in the hands of the Lord. He wanted Gideon to understand that, that victory rested in the hands of our Heavenly Father, not in chariots or horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. So the congregation hears this. They hear that the the Lord is going to save his anointed, so they stand up and they sing this. Our faith, our trust is not on, as the New Testament says, the sinking sand, but it is on the solid rock. That's what they're saying. So... It is his name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Because as Philippians 2 says, at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. So our Savior, Jesus Christ, does not stand on the brink of a battle yet to be fought. Because the victory has already been won. Okay. The tomb was empty. We saw that on Easter, remember? We don't gather at Easter just because it's, we like flowers and lilies and spring and things like that. No, because the tomb is empty. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So the battle has already been won. Death, where's your victory? Death, grave, where's your sting? It's gone because of what Christ has done. He has already won the victory. Now, we know the truth about ourselves, that if we were to trust in ourselves, well, we would be lost. But here, like the Old Testament saints who trusted in the Lord, 
We're not going to trust in the things of this world. We're going to trust in the things of the king. What happens to the king happens to the people. So they pray for the success and victory of the king in the day of trouble because his victory means their victory. Christ's victory means the victory for all those who are in Christ. Okay? So that now, the joy of us, the joy of each and every believer is linked to the success of what Christ has done. Christ has been successful, therefore that will lead to the success of all those who are in Christ. Now, I'm not going to spend any time other than this one comment on the view of success that is laid out in some churches and some preachers. Given the fact that Jesus said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, uh, that he left the throne of God, he took on the form of a man, he gave up his life for us when we were his enemies, I think we get the idea that he didn't go to the cross so that I could live, just so I could live in a big house and have a Rolex and gold-plated bathroom fixtures and all that kind of stuff. In fact, Christ promised that we will suffer. Now, we might be successful, but we will suffer for the cause of Christ, for his name's sake. Now, I don't know about you, but suffering was not on the top of my list when I became a believer. But yet, in my suffering, in those times of sorrow, I know that my Savior is there. Because he promises never to leave me or forsake me. So in the same way that Romans 8 tells us that the Lord works all things for the good of those who trust in him, a called according to his purposes, he defines what is good for us. So in the same way, success is defined by Christ, not by us. Jesus said in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. His mission was to carry out the will of the Father. That was his only purpose, his only job, and he did it perfectly. Matthew chapter 6 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust corrupts and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up your treasures where? Lay up your treasures in heaven. That's success. Jesus states explicitly that our heart will be where our treasures are located. If your heart is here because your treasures are here, your heart's in the wrong place. Success is obedience to the commands of our Heavenly Father. We are here in this world for specific things. We battle against specific things. We battle against the things of Satan, the principalities, not against flesh and blood. Hence, evil is everywhere. Of course, where does it start? It starts here in my heart, first and foremost. Jesus was the most successful person who ever lived. They didn't have a house. They tried him. They hung him on a cross. So how could he be the most successful person who ever lived? Because he fulfilled the will of God perfectly. Perfectly. Now to define success biblically means it's going to involve our character far more than it does our production. We are not to not produce, but it is our character first and foremost because producing for the kingdom has expectations, okay? Now, if you look up Forbes' 15 traits of successful business leaders, uh, you won't find these types of things on Forbes' lists. 
okay? Because they're looking at success and desiring it in other ways. Our success, the underlying issue in our success is the glory of the Lord. It is not our glory, although we may get the acclamation of men, but it is the glory of our Heavenly Father. But sometimes it takes a while. I have a friend who was, uh, worked in Youth for Christ with, and his, he said his brother was bent from the time he was 12 to be a millionaire. He said, I'm going to be a millionaire before I'm 30. And that's all that he focused on. And you know, when he was 28, he was a millionaire. And he said, huh, I think I need to get married. So you know who he married? He married a woman who said, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be a millionaire. Okay? And by the time they were 40, they were multi-millionaires. And by the time they were 42, they were going their separate ways because neither was happy with all their earthly success. They had just crumbled. Okay? They couldn't find what their hearts really longed for. So the things of Christ. So sometimes, maybe in our early years, we seek those things which we think will fulfill us. But then we get beat up by the world. Then we have successes and failures. And we come to the conclusion that maybe God has something other than this earthly success for me. I want to tell you the story of a a man who understood this. Now, this was a movie, and it's a true story, that Judy and I watched about two weeks ago. It's called Mully, M-U-L-L-Y. Charles Mully lives in Kenya, he's still alive, and was abandoned by his family at an early age and spent years begging on the streets. As a young man, he was given a chance, and, and over the course of a few years, through hard work, a willingness to go above and beyond, and this big smile that he had on his face most of the time, he became a multimillionaire. Okay? And his you understand, in, in Kenya, he was at the top of the pyramid. Okay, because there just aren't that many people that rich in Kenya. His unlikely rise to wealth and power left him questioning why. Why am I so successful? What is my purpose here in life? So against the better judgment of his family, against the counsel of his church and elders, against the desires of his community, Mully sent out to save every orphan child in Kenya. Every orphan child in Kenya. That's a lot of children. To do this, he began to divest himself of his own fortune. You can imagine, he comes and in, in the movie, he's sitting there at dinner and he tells his family, we're going to start to sell everything and we're going to take orphans in. And there was silence. Because they were kind of waiting for the next trip that family was going to take or maybe dad was going to get a new car. And so he goes out that night and collects some orphans off the street and brings them home. Now he's got six or seven kids at this time and they're like, well, he's not sleeping in my room. Well, they didn't understand that sooner or later there were going to be hundreds of children from the streets, living in their house. So much that they could no longer house them all, and he had purchased a piece of property out away from town where they began to build what became known as Mully Children's Family. He became the founder of this 
the largest organization to rescue children in Kenya. Rehabilitation, development, education, medical things. So over the years, Mully, Chris, Mully Children's Family has rescued thousands and thousands of children from the streets of Kenya. And it took Mully till he was in his mid-40s and, and a multimillionaire to decide that maybe the Lord has something else for me. Maybe he has given me this success, which really isn't the fulfillment of my heart. So he sold it all to save the children of Kenya. It took Mully many years to figure out why he'd become so wealthy. But once he understood God's call on his life, he was willing to give it all away for success of the kingdom. Not success of the world, but success of the kingdom. So as I look at this, what really defines success for us? As the king goes, so go the people. Christ has been successful. How are we to live? Successful person is faithful. Doing what God calls us to do each and every day. We won't wake up in the morning and say, good Lord, it's morning. We say, well, good morning, Lord. What do, I, what do you have for me today? What is it that I can do to serve your kingdom? Because we want the Lord to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay? That's what, those are the words that we want to hear. So he's faithful. A successful person is fruitful. Well, you know, no, I didn't tell anybody about Christ. I really didn't do anything, but I was godly. No, we're supposed to put those things to use. We're to bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be disciples, John 15. What kind of fruit should we look for? Two evidences. The fruit of character, fruit of the Spirit, and we've seen those things, and influence. So let your light shine before men. We learned that in Sunday school, right? This little light of mine. Some lights are very bright, okay? But not all of us shine that brightly. Some of us are smaller lights, but we are still to let those lights shine. We are still to let our influence impact those around us. Some of us will influence hundreds, thousands for Christ. Charles Mully. Some of us might influence two or three. But that is success. Third, Successful person is satisfied in the Lord. Jesus said in John 15, I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So if the joy of Christ is in us, then our joy is complete. The joy of satisfaction, the joy of uh, fruitfulness, the joy of letting our light shine. Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70. They come back, what? With joy in their hearts with joy in their hearts because they did what the Lord called them to do. And the fourth thing, the successful person exalts God, not themselves. Okay, Not themselves. A true believer's true success brings God glory. We, we might get some glory or we might get ignored, but if it brings God glory, then we have been successful. We might benefit from earthly success like Charles Mully, personally, financially, emotionally, emotionally, our personal status might be raised when we pursue success, but then we have to decide, does it give God glory? 
Charles Mulley decided that his success was to be used for God's glory. He never had a financial campaign. In the movie, there's one, one section. They don't have any food. They got hundreds of kids living in the compound. They don't have any food. And his wife comes to him. Now, she really wasn't on board with this at, at all either, but she went along with it. And she says, um, I'm paraphrasing, honey, we don't have any food for dinner tonight. And he says, well, why are you telling me? He says, you should be talking to the one who can provide it. So they went in their room. They got on their knees and they prayed. That night a truck pulled up. The driver of the truck had a check and the truck was full of food. Now, does God do that in your life? Not as often as I'd like, I tell you. (laughs) I can remember being in Youth for Christ and you know, we had not been paid for a couple months, which wasn't uncommon because we had to raise our own money and sometimes the cash flow would go up and down. And I'd go down to the mailbox knowing that, uh, the, you know, to collect the mail in the morning because that's, that's when we got it there in Pennsylvania. And, you know, I had to go someplace. I had stuff to do. I had to get three or four high schools. I had to see kids. But, you know, I only got like half a gallon of gas in my car. But I'm going to go. And I go down to the mailbox to get the mail. And what do I find? Well, there's a blank envelope there. Open it up. What's in there? It's a $100 bill. I can't tell you the number of times that happened. Okay, Where money was given to me when I had to go do ministry, but I didn't have the money for it. Now, has that happened all the time in my life? Well, no. No. But I guess when you really need it, the Lord comes through. 1 Peter 4 says, So that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. So the question, I think, out of Psalm 20, because of the success of our king, does your success bring him glory? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we see you work in our lives. We see sometimes you, you work in spectacular ways, and sometimes we pray for things and, and we, don't, we don't see any action. Help us understand what it is you're calling each one of us to do, how each of us is called to be successful according to your definition of it that we might be faithful with what you have given to us, that we might be fruitful with what you have provided for us. Lord, that we might be more concerned with your glory, that the world knows who you are and less about our own. For then we can find true success when people look at us and they first see Jesus Christ. Then they see us. Lord, help us, each of us, search our hearts that we might find success in your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.